0: Amen. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? <clears throat> it's about life change. Jesus is all about life change, and what we want to be about as a church is following Christ in life-changing community. <clears throat> I'll be doing that a lot today, by the way. I don't know what's going on with my voice. It could have been the fact that I got to go to my first uh, playoff game in 44 years, and uh, and watch the Orioles uh win the game that was awesome you know I, I, and i i I used the pulpit to promote my teams, but I will say that that unashamedly you know and, and uh but I will ask you guys to uh, pray tonight heavily for the New England Patriots it was <laughs> Wow, Monday night was rough, you know wow it was they were they were just beat down in a bad way um, tom Tom was looking not so good, my wife was excited, and all the All the haters came out, and that's all right. That's all right. Hopefully, they can go back home tonight, the haters. I don't know. Cincinnati's 3-0. Who knows? All right. Anyhow, Uh, this is church, right? Okay. (laughs) Hey, today, we're we're in our last conversation in in this message series called Never the Same. And in the series, you know, we we met a bunch of people who had the opportunity, think about it, an opportunity to encounter God, when He wore flesh and walked this planet, and and one thing that has been readily apparent is that when someone, you know, be it a, a crippled guy on the mat, uh, a woman by a well, a lady caught in adultery, a, a rich young ruler, or a terrorist by the name of Saul, it's apparent that when when someone meets Jesus, when someone encounters with Jesus, when their life intersects with Jesus, they're, they're never the same. They change. They're different. They become a, a new creation. And understand that though change, though transformation and becoming something different, something better is what the gospel is all about, that still doesn't mean it's easy or pain-free, right? I mean, if you were here last week, that was the message of the video I showed before um, the message, the guitar guy. You know, singing a song about the beauty of change, inspired when he had to change his tires, and you know, he he starts singing the song about how awesome it is changing. You know, um, and as he's playing, he's realizing, well, you know what? It's really not all that easy. <laughs> you know, because uh, sometimes we want to be that new person, we want to be different, but it doesn't happen quickly enough for us, and. Sometimes what can happen if change doesn't happen very fast, we can throw up our hands and just give up and just say, like at the end of the video, right, he goes, whatever, yeah, I can't change. You know, that's why I love how the video at the end just said, don't give up hope, real change is possible. And let, me, and let me tell you, real change is not only possible, but it's probable when your life intersects with the risen son of God. Now, I want to read a passage of Scripture that's going to set up our Jesus encounter for today. Paul wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, "Uh, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be what? Outsiders by birth. And, and, And you were called the uncircumcised ones by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from God's people, Israel, and you did not know the promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you belong to Christ Jesus. Though you were once far away from God, now you have been brought near to him because of the blood of Christ. Amen. And let's pray. Uh, Palms open if you're ready to receive from God. Um, Lord, we love you, and we, we humbly and joyfully and expectantly come into your presence. There's no one like you. Uh, God, my words are, are not living and active. My words are not sharper than a doubled-edged sword, but yours are. Uh, your word penetrates it to even to dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit, and, and your word is able to correct and rebuke and train us in all righteousness so that we can fully accomplish all the things you want for us to do. So God, I just pray your word comes with power. Uh, I I pray that we're different because of the encounter we'll look at today. And, And I pray that because we're different, our world is different. God, open our eyes, open our hearts. God, enable me to somehow stand up here and speak for you in a way that brings you honor and glory for you deserve everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Question Have you ever felt like an outsider, like you didn't fit in, like you didn't belong, like you were not wanted, like you were a second or third class citizen, like you were on the lowest rung of the ladder, the bottom of the food chain, the low end of the totem pole, at the bottom of the pecking order, like you were on the outside looking in, not welcomed? John Ortberg, in his great book, Everybody is Normal until you get to know them, which I would have written after being here four years. He'd here like, you all look normal four years ago? Man, you're so not normal, but, and neither am I. Uh, but he talks about a time that his family made the move from sunny California to chilly Chicago. And, and, and he said that his middle daughter had a very hard time with the initial transition. And, and one night at, at bedtime, he's in the room talking to her, and the tears just began to flow. And here's what she said to her dad. Dad, it's so hard living here. Nobody knows me. I go to a new school, a new church. Everybody already seems to have friends. I don't belong. I don't have anybody that I can really talk to. I don't have people who want to have lunch with me or choose me for their team. I just try to get through the day. And then, and then John says that his daughter said eleven words that really stabbed his heart and painted a a one-word picture, one phrase picture of that he would never forget. She said this sit on the bed that night. I feel like a little mouse that doesn't have a hole. What a, what a vivid picture. You got this little mouse. He's small. He's afraid. He's vulnerable. He's, he's, he's running around looking in the midst of an environment that's full of dangers he cannot control. And he's trying to find a safe place to be welcomed into. Wherever he looks, there's not a place to be found. I feel like a little mouse that doesn't have a hole. Question Do you think there are any people in our world today who, like a little mouse, are scampering around, desperately trying to find a place where they will be welcomed into, but none can be found? I mean, students, where where you go to school, are, are there any people who sit alone on the bus by themselves at the lunch table, people that no one notices, no one talks to, or worse yet, who are the brunt of everybody else's abuse, adults, when When you go to work from Monday to Friday, are there any people there who no one really pays attention to? I mean, no one really listens to their stories, laughs at their jokes, invites them into the conversation, or asks them to go out and grab a bite to eat with them. And are there any people who, when they pull into their driveway, walk through their front door, sit in their living room, still feel left out, not included, alone, and outside? How about a church? How about at Maple Grove? Are there there people who come into this building, people who always seem to walk alone, sit alone, come here alone, and leave alone? I mean, is it possible that that someone could actually walk into this room where people have gathered to worship God and yet leave here untouched and unnoticed? Yeah, I, I think we all know the answers to those questions. Yes, there are people in our world at our schools, where we work, and in our homes, and even in this room who feel like they are on the outside looking in. Understand, one thing that the people of this world in and out of the church are good at is building walls, walls that separate people, walls that keep some people in and leave other people out. Has anybody here ever flown in an airplane? Have you ever flown coach? <laughs> That's all I know, you know, and and, and if you ever if you ever flown coach, you've experienced a great wall of separation. You, you see, on almost every flight, once a plane is underway, a curtain is drawn that separates two compartments. And this curtain, this wall, is like the Berlin Wall or the veil of the Holy Holies. It is not to be violated it's a constant reminder that some people are first class and some people are not. And even if the curtain is not closed, it's an invisible barrier keeping some people in and leaving many others out. And listen, the, the flight experience is totally different from, for, for those in coach compared to those in the Holy of Holies. You know, those in coach are handed, if they're lucky, right, a bag of peanuts, you know, and a drink in a plastic cup, where those in the Holy of Holies, you know, uh, get real food on real plates. Those left out on the outside are crammed into small seats with little room for their arms, legs, or feet. I mean, the person in 31A and 31B, whether they want to or not, are a lot closer to each other than most teenagers are on a date. It's true. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? And there's that armrest, right? Okay, if he coughs, I'm grabbing that sucker, right? <laughs> but I better put my Bible away first so I, he doesn't know I follow Jesus because I want that, you know? And, and, and those who are left out in coach, you know, you know, you got a couple hundred people maybe with like two small bathrooms between them, right? And those in the Holy Holies, they got like one, you know, for the 10 of them. Yeah, we humans are very good of building walls. In fact, the only man-made object visible from space is just that, right? It's a wall, the Great Wall of China. I understand ever since Cain and Abel, the human race has been building walls. And John Orberg writes this, it's part of our fallenness that makes us want to be in not just any group, but an exclusive group. By definition, every society includes people who connect, who belong to one another, yet every society also includes people who feel left out, who don't get chosen at recess, whose invitations to the dance get turned down, who get blackballed and cold-shouldered and voted off the island. We exclude others because of pride, fear, or ignorance, or the desire to feel superior. In 1944, C.S. Lewis gave a lecture at the University of London called um, The Inner Ring. And you can, well, you can Google anything, right? But you can Google that, that and get a copy of the entire lecture. And in that lecture, Lewis, who was 46 years old at the time, was wanting to help the students gather that day to avoid a lifetime of constantly pursuing entrance into the inner ring. And, and when I use the phrase inner ring, I'm pretty confident that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in every society, every school, every university, every workplace, you will find inner ring. And you always know who's in inner ring by the use of nicknames and inside jokes, by who eats together and who's invited to certain events and who's not invited. Question, where you work, where you go to school, is there an inner ring? Is there a circle of people that everybody knows is in have you ever been in the inner ring? Are you there now? Would you like to be in it? Lewis writes, I I believe that in all men's lives at certain periods, and in many men's lives at all periods, between infancy and extreme old age, one of the most dominant elements is a desire to be inside the local ring and the terror of being left outside. And and listen, the, the desire to be part of this inner ring, it's it's very dangerous. It, it, it leads us to constantly compare ourselves to other people, and it, it causes us to feel anguish when we're left out and even more anguish when someone close to us gets let in and we're not let in. It, it causes us to compromise. Uh, we, we say something we don't believe, we do things we don't really want to do. We, we laugh at someone's joke, even though it was lame and stupid or maybe inappropriate. we pretend to agree with someone when secretly we disagree, Uh, we give a compliment that we don't really mean all in an effort to get in. And we get a a little surge of pleasure when we think that we are in a more inner ring than somebody else. Because seeing someone else excluded makes us feel special. I I I mean, if you think about it, the only reason the inner ring exists in the first place is for exclusion. I mean, where would the fun be if there weren't any outsiders? And if everyone is on the inside, then is there even an inside? And and, and then Lewis really nails it here when he says that to get into the inner ring, he says, many times you neglect and finally shake off friends with whom you really love and who might have lasted you a lifetime in order to court the friendship of those who appear to you more important. This inner ring stuff is universal. And you know what? Even Hollywood gets it, right? I mean, how how many movies have you seen where the lead character sells out his real friends because they weren't cool in order to get in the inner ring? And then once they get in there... And the thrill wears off of being in the ring, which it always does. They realize, hey, these boneheads in here—I don't even want to be around them to begin with—and they got to run back and hope their friends will bring them back in. Can you think of any movies like that, but that as their theme? I, first one that came to my mind—you know, maybe I shouldn't admit that in public. You know, I do like my favorite movie is Braveheart, Gladiator, then We Were Soldiers. All right, I'm gonna make that clear before I say Princess Diaries, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Are you not entertained? Okay, <clears throat> But, right, I mean, she sell, right, She wants to be the princess of Gwendovia or whatever it is. You know, sells out her friends, almost loses the guy. By time two comes along, the guy's gone. Anyhow, so it didn't matter to begin with. But anyhow, that's a common theme, right? And, and just one more quote from Lewis about the inner ring. Desire to be on the end. Did, 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 did you get that? That was good. I, I just wanted to say that really fast. The desire to be inside the invisible line illustrates this rule. As long as you're governed by that desire, you will never get what you want. You're trying to peel an onion. If you succeed, there will be nothing left. Until you conquer the fear of being an outsider, an outsider you will remain. This morning, as we wrap up our series, Never the Same, we're going to meet a lady. He was the outsider of outsiders. I mean, she couldn't even spell the words in ring. I mean, she was about as far away in coach and as far away from first class. You, I mean, she's right back there by the smelly bathroom, right, with, 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 the, you know, with the loud sound where you can't hear anything. She, she was everything that a good Jew who thought they were in, were in the inner ring was to avoid at all costs. Number one, she was a woman, which in that culture didn't mean a whole lot because women in that culture had little value worth or respect. Number two, she's probably a single mom because we'll see in our text that she has a daughter who is possessed with a demon and she goes to ask Jesus for help. But if she had a husband, it wouldn't be her asking, it would be the husband. Number three, she had a daughter who was demon possessed. And most people would, would just assume that the reason her daughter suffered was because of Uh, their mom had issues. Number four, she's a Gentile. And not just any Gentile. I mean, she's a Gentile of Gentiles. Matthew tells us that she was a Canaanite. By the way, that's not a term of endearment to the Jew. And a Syrophoenician from the region of Tyre. Now, Tyre was an ancient city that had a a long history of fighting with God's people. It's located in modern-day Lebanon. And as you cross over on your road trip uh, to Tyre, you're greeted with a sign that said this, that gave you a clue, of what that place was like. Welcome to Tyre, home of Queen Jezebel, all right? Anybody ever, I've never met anybody named that, have you? That, that, I mean, some, some crazy names, but that probably wouldn't work, right? The Jewish historian says that uh, the people of Tyre were Israel's most bitter enemies, 2,000 years ago, a woman living behind a wall, a woman on the outside, a woman who had been left out her entire life, met the king of glory, and she was never the same. Both Matthew and Mark record this encounter in Mark 7 and Matthew 15. And again, the Holy Spirit, he's smarter than you and I, right? He said, hey, I need to put this in there because there's a reason, there's something that I want to say in this. And by the time this encounter is over, the lady's daughter will be healed. Uh, Jesus will give her a huge compliment. He'll bring her into the inner ring, and he'll teach his disciples and us a powerful lesson about inclusion. Mark writes, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Why? I I think he needed a little R&R, right? Rest and relaxation. Yeah, he's God, but he's also God in, in, in the flesh. And guess what? Flesh gets tired. Flesh gets weary. It says, you know, he, he, he wanted no one to know he was there. But, but Mark tells us that he could not keep his presence secret. And I think there is a simple but powerful truth buried in those seven words. He could not keep his presence a secret. I understand, if, if Jesus, like, as I call him, he's not the KFC, he's the K of G, all right? You know, uh, you know, someone had, my wife thought I said KFC, though I love KFC, fried chicken is like the best, but he is the K of G, he is the king of glory. And, and if Jesus, if the king of glory, if, if he is in our house, if he is in us, if Jesus is in this church, We will not be able to keep his presence a secret. I mean, people will know. If he's here, if Jesus is in me, if Jesus is in you, if Jesus is in us, people will know it and people will see it. He will stick out of our lives. Amen? Get it? Good. Again, Jesus, he's trying to keep his presence a secret and it's not working so good. And then we read this, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, can you imagine how horrible that would be, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus, crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter suffering terribly from demon possession. And Matthew, who was there, tells us, That Jesus did not answer a word. Why? Why didn't he say anything? Why is he ignoring her? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit Jesus' profile. Understand, here's what's going on. School is in session. And Jesus intentionally ignores the woman while his disciples watch to see what they're going to do, to see, hey, do you guys get it yet? Do you get it? Do you understand yet what I am all about? You see, great teachers don't always just give lectures and hand out information because they know that experience is often more, pro, more powerful than a presentation. Sure, Jesus could have passed out an outline and put together a PowerPoint, and taught them about their tendency to, to be exclusive and their need to be more inclusive. But Jesus found out over the last couple of years that, you know, the lecture approach didn't always work with these guys. In fact, he tried it, you know, just a while back uh, when they tried to keep little kids from coming to him. And so far, that lesson seemed to go over their heads. You see, the disciples. They thought they understood the kind of people that Jesus did and did not have time for. You see, they knew who was in the inner ring. In response, they built their own Berlin Wall of Separation. And they weren't about to let just anybody crawl over that wall. But little did they know that the days of walls were about to be numbered, that God was about to break down the wall of separation and build an extension bridge. Again, Jesus says nothing to this outer ring lady. So disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. After who? (laughs) They just, hey, we're in that ring with you, Jesus. And again, don't forget that school's in session. And Jesus is trying to teach his guys and us an, an invaluable lesson about exclusion and inclusion. So he appears to agree with their reasoning. Yes, send her away. Send her away. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. In other words, hey, guys, I agree with you. Let's get rid of her. After all, I was only sent to entering people, right, to Israel, God's favorite. God so loved, I mean, you heard what I said to Nicodemus. God so loved Israel that he... And understand, this lady, I mean, she's she's pleading and crying at his feet. And she hears this entire exchange going on between Jesus and his disciples. Hey, get rid of her. She's annoying. She's bothering us. She's not one of her kind. She doesn't deserve to be here. She's not one of us. Send her away. She hears everything. But this lady will not be discouraged or distracted or deterred. Why? Because in her mind, all she can see is her daughter screaming, the daughter that she held in her arms, and her love for her daughter was too strong. Stop talking about demons and your sounds like that, right? <laughs> if my head spins around, leave. No. <laughs> sorry. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. Now, what do you think the disciples are thinking right now? I, for one, think that, and remember, school's in session. I I think they're feeling a little bit of tension. I I mean, picture, you, you got this lady down here crying and pleading for her daughter, a mom, desperate. And Jesus is like, okay, guys, so so you want me to treat all Gentiles as outsiders? You, You want me to send this mom away? Well, here's what that looks like. A begging, pleading, desperate mom looking for help and hope, being ignored and told to go away. Your kind is not wanted here. Yeah, I think they're feeling tension because... On the one hand, their theology—not God's—told them that this woman, she should be shunned, she should be rejected, she should be turned away, she should be on the outside, she should be excluded. But but as they, you know, as, as that left the classroom and the whiteboard and it came to real life, as they looked at this desperate mom, they saw her tears dripping onto the sand. They saw her desperation. I, I'm convinced that something begins to them, and they wonder, hey, I wonder it. If God could possibly be bigger and better than our theology, he replied, First let the children, school still in session, eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. First let the children, that would be Israel, eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. That would be Gentiles. That would be her. Toss it to their dogs? Now hold on. That's not the, that's not the warm and fuzzy Jesus, right? that we all know and love. And again, don't forget school is in session. And this is a lesson about inclusion. Now you would think that after being with Jesus for two years, after watching Jesus constantly bring to himself, bringing through the curtain, bringing over the wall, all these people, the disciples, have been excluding their whole life children, the blind women, the Samaritan tax collectors, that they would step in and say, hey, Jesus, you know, we've been thinking, and we've kind of been talking about it. We had this little hut over here, and we really think that maybe you would, should think about helping this lady out. But they didn't step in. I, I don't know, maybe they were afraid that they might lose their spot in what they think is the inner ring. First, let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their They're dogs. And how do you feel about Jesus referring to this lady as a dog? Would you want Jesus to call you a dog? I understand, you know, to the Jew, you know, dogs were not, they were unclean. They were dirty. They were scavengers that roamed the street. You know, uh, that's why the, the Jew would love to put the label on the Gentile, call them a dog. Jesus called her a dog. But the cool thing is, the word that's used there is only used There at one place in New Testament, and it's not the word for dog is a scavenger dog, it's more like little dog or puppy, a household pet. Now, I think I'd be okay with Jesus calling me a puppy. You know, you know, you know, pat me on the head. I'd be okay with that. You know, first let the children eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their puppies. And at that moment, I kind of see that woman looking up at Jesus and he winks at her. And she winks back, oh, okay, Jesus, I am so tracking with you here. I have a place in your house. I'm not some stray dog roaming the streets. I have a master who loves me and cares for me who's right now smiling at me and has the power to help my daughter. Yes, Lord, she said, but even dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs that fall from the master's table. In other words, Jesus You're still my Lord and Master. And go ahead and make it look like you're pushing me away. But Jesus, I know you. I know your heart. I'm not going anywhere. By all means, feed the kids. But I think you have a crumb or two for me. And then Jesus answered, woman. And in the Greek, there's actually a a single letter word before that, oh. Oh, woman. It's motion. Oh woman, I mean Jesus is full of emotion and I tend to believe his eyes are full with tears. Oh woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. She went home and found her daughter lying on the bed and the demon gone. 2,000 years ago, a woman living behind a wall, a woman on the outside, a woman left out, met the king of glory and she was never the same. Pretty Cool story, and but what's the point? Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Matthew and Mark to record this encounter for us? Okay, here's three quick but huge lessons as we wrap up. Number one, our God is an inclusive God. In the beginning, when God created man and woman, he created them to be in his image, to be in his likeness, and he invited them into the entering of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Understand, our God is a God of inclusion. He's a God who tears down walls. He's a God who removes barriers. He's a God who builds bridges to bring people, to bring all people into the ultimate in a ring. And listen, when God spoke through his prophets in the Old Testament, talking about the coming of the Messiah and the coming of his kingdom, the church, he spoke of a kingdom that would be inclusive and include all people. Here's just one example of the tons of verses, Isaiah 2. In the last days, the mounting of the Lord's house will be the highest of all, the most important place on earth. It will be raised above other hills and people from all over the world, We'll stream there. We'll stream to the church to worship. People from many nations will come and say, come let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob's God. There he will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. See, God was always inclusive. You know, in Acts chapter 15, you know, I don't know if you knew this or not, but like the church is born in Acts 2 and it's 10 years later, Acts 10, before you have the first Gentile convert. A guy named Cornelius, and and it it uh and when he came to Christ, straight from Gentile to Christianity, not via being coming a Jew, it, it caused an, an uproar, so to speak, back home, you know, in Jerusalem. And they had what's called the Jerusalem Council. Like, hey, wait a second, we're freaking out here. <laughs> are you know, what do you know? This guy just came to Christ, he, he and his whole household surrendered to Christ and were baptized. This is not making sense. And, and explaining what was going on, Jesus' half-brother James stands up and he quotes from the Old Testament and, and he says this, after this I'll return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I'll restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. Our God is a God of inclusion. And he created us to to live in the fellowship of his inner ring. John talked about it in his first letter. He says this in 1 John chapter one. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we Ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. We've been invited into this crazy fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. A second lesson I see in here is that no one has to settle for crumbs. Every person, including you, has been invited to sit at, not under, the great banquet table of the Lord. And listen, God, through the death and shed blood of His Son, and not because of, of Sonia said, because our our, our good. De- I'm so glad I'm not under that, because I gotta think my scale's not doing too good. You know, not because our, our good deeds somehow outweighed our bad, but because of the death of his son. He, he has torn down the wall. He has thrown open the curtain that kept us from him and allowed us into his inner circle. And now no one has to settle for crumbs. The entire meal is ours for the eating. You may think that you're not worthy, but you don't have to settle for crumbs, you may think that you do not deserve his mercy, his grace, his favor, but you don't have to settle for crumbs. You, you, you may be waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but you don't have to settle for crumbs. Times may be tough, things may be difficult, but you don't have to settle for crumbs. You may have walked away from God, turned away from him. Yes, the stain of sin may still be fresh, but you don't have to settle for crumbs. You may feel like you don't deserve a second chance, a third chance, or a 77 times 7 chance, but you don't have to settle for crumbs. You may think that you'll never become the person that God wants you to be, the man that God wants you to be, the woman that God wants you to be, but don't settle for crumbs. You may think that life in all its fullness, that peace beyond understanding, that contentment in any and every situation, that freedom from all that is or has held you back. You may think that release from fear and anxiety, that hope that is living, that strength beyond yourself, that hope that sustains even in the darkness, night, and a joy that is both inexpressible and glorious will never be yours. It's for somebody else, not you, because you don't measure up. Don't settle for crumbs. We are all sitting at the same table. Don't settle for crumbs. And number three, we are to be an inclusive people. Yeah, I I know we're very proficient at building our walls, And finding ways to exclude people. But we've been called to build bridges of inclusion. And that's the way it's been from the very beginning when God started calling a people to himself. In Genesis 12, he calls the first guy, Abraham, right? Leave your country, your relatives, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will cause you to become the father of a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And I will make you a blessing to others. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. It's never about just one people. It's always been about all people. And when Jesus met with his guys in Galilee after his resurrection, he gave them an inclusive commission. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given complete authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. All nations, all people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, old and young, educated and not educated, Republican and Democrat, patriot fans and people you gotta pray for. No, (laughs) just kidding. Teach these new disciples, obey all I commands, and be sure of this, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And Paul, and the message that the Holy Spirit inspired in ex wall building, people excluding, Pharisee, terrorists by the name of Saul, was one of inclusion. We read these words as we began today. Don't forget that you used to be outsiders. Not fun, right? Not fun. In those days, you were living apart from Christ, not good. You were excluded, not a good time from God's people. You didn't know the promises God had made, like this new Jerusalem coming down from the sky. You lived in this world without God and, yeah, without hope because they kind of go together. But now you belong to Christ Jesus. Though you once were far away from God, now you've been brought near to him because of the blood of Christ. John Orberg writes these words. These are just good. The most desirable inner ring in the universe, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, turns out to be the humblest and the least exclusive. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are determined that the circle of love they share for all eternity should be ceaselessly, shamelessly inclusive. It's not full yet. God invites all who will... God invites all who will to join them. No one is left out except those who refuse to enter. 2,000 years ago, a woman behind a wall, a woman on the outside looking in, met Jesus, and she was never the same again. Maple Grove, today, this week, and every day hereafter, just, just, two, just two closing challenges, really simple Challenge number one, let's remember and celebrate our inclusion. Are you kidding me? God the Father, God the Son, the God who breathes out stars, who is holy and righteous, who is and was and always will be, invites messed up you and messed up me to be his sons and his daughters, to sit at his table and feed on his feast. Are you kidding me? Let's remember that, and let's celebrate that. I am in the in crowd. I'm on the inside, first class, all the way. And and, and number two, let's be a community of believers who looks for ways to break down walls. You know, look. Students, when you go to school this week, look, look for those people on the outside, man. No one's talking to them, no one's hanging with them. You know how it, that would really stink. I couldn't imagine to go through, you know, 180 days a year feeling like you're just all by yourself, man. You know, that had to be terrible. And adults, guess what? There's people where you work who feel the same way. And as a church, let's, you know, when we leave this place, you know, let's begin to practice what. At one time, at one church, we called the two-minute rule, right? Like when church is over, the first two minutes, just look for someone you don't know and say hi to them, right? Your friends, they'll be there when you're done. But, you know, let's, man, let's, I'd hate to think, you know, that someone could walk in these doors and leave and just feel all alone, like I'm on the outside, I hear this stuff, but it can't be for me. Man, let's be a bridge-building people and make a difference in this world for our king. Would you stand and pray with me? Now, if you're here today, and and, I I gotta let you know, the invitation to surrender to Christ is open every week. You know, if you're here today, and you believe in who Jesus says, and you're ready to surrender your life, and you not yet have done what what Taylor right here in the front row did a few weeks back when she surrendered to Christ, you know, and and was baptized, man, you can do that today. You know, if, if you need prayer, our leaders are available after church. If you need to come up here, you know, feel the need to do that. You know, But we're going to sing this song, Mighty to Save, and I, I, I kind of, it, it's really those first three words that make me want to sing this song. Everyone needs compassion, even the people that you want to hit, because <laughs> they're driving you crazy. Yeah, everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me, and let his mercy fall on them. God, we love you, and God, we all know. At one time, we experienced being on the outside, and it was just not fun, and it seemed to go on forever. A minute seemed like a day, a day seemed like a lifetime, feeling left out and alone, this huge wall. And God, I, I pray you're working us, God, first that we'll celebrate that we have a Savior, you know, the same Savior that, that, that met this woman, the same Savior that came into Sonia's life, you know, is alive and well, and, and he's broken down the wall, and he's invited us to fellowship with him. And so, God, I pray that we just worship you in freedom right now and celebrate what we have, and, God, that you'll send us out of this place with your love and compassion so that we can build more and more bridges. In Jesus' name, amen.